about the attitude of life that just sort of, you know, makes things the predominant thing in their life. He was addressing, I repeat, a crowd of people, and there was one spoke up and said to him, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance. And then the Lord gave that parable. And we're going to preach a message from the parable itself in a few weeks. But I want to pick up on the, the message following that message. Look at verse 22. After speaking to the multitude, verse 22 of Luke 12, and he said unto his disciples. Now this message is not geared to the entire crowd, not to the, uh, the crowd in general, not to unsaved people. Talking to his own, the family of God, his disciples, they're called here. Therefore, so he's hinging on to what he just said. Therefore, I say unto you, take no thought for your life what you shall eat, neither for the body what you shall put on. The life is more than meat, and the body is more than raiment. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap, which neither have storehouse nor barn, and God feedeth them. How much more are ye better than the fowls? Which of you taking thought can add to his statue one cubit? If ye then be not able to do that thing which is least, why take ye thought for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They toil not, they spin not. And yet I say unto you that Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed or dressed like one of these. If then God so clothe the grass which is today in the field and tomorrow is cast in the oven, how much more shall he clothe you, O ye of little faith? Seek not what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, neither be of a doubtful mind, for all these things do the nations of the world seek after. He's talking about the unsaved nations. Word sometime is referred to as the pagan world. Those that know nothing about God, those that don't know the truth of God, all they live for is just things. For all these things do the nations of the world seek after. Your Father knoweth that you have need of these things. But rather seek you the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Fear not, little flock, for it's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell that you have and give alms. Provide yourselves bags which wax not old, a treasure in the heavens that faileth not. Where no thief approacheth, neither moth corrupteth. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. He said to his disciples, Therefore, because of the warning that he gave in the parable about a man who left God out of his life, he then hints this teaching upon that story. And our Lord is warning about an attitude of life that drains the vitality out of us, an attitude of heart that takes the joy out of living. He's warning about that thing that takes the smile off of the face, that takes the ring out of the voice, that takes the spring out of our step, and instead that thing that, that furs the brow and that thing that stoops the shoulders and that thing that depresses the heart, our Lord is talking about something that we identify with a number of names. For instance, sometimes it's referred to as anxiety. Other times it's referred to with a more common word, worry. Sometimes it's referred to as depression. More often in this age, used to be, we'd hear them say something like this. I've heard the old timers in the Southland say something about uh, when a person was in that uh, a state of mind and when that plague of light was upon them, upon their life, they'd say he has the blues. You've heard that. I heard a person say not long ago, boy, he's got a sad case of the blues. Well, we don't hear that much anymore, but they're talking about the same thing that our Lord is warning the disciples here about. And he says, take no thought. Now that's a word that we don't really use in that sense today. So let me see if I can explain and clarify really what he's saying before we look at the message itself. Now, we don't, I think, see the thrust of what he was saying here when he uses the word take no thought. You see, we use that sense today. The word in taking thought is to be considerate, planning, and that's not what he's warning against. He's not saying it's, it's wrong to plan for the future. 
He's, he's talking about when he says take no thought, to put it literally, he's saying stop being anxious. Stop worrying. If I could just be real blunt and just put it in right everyday terminology, our Lord said this, don't worry. I preached in a, in a Bible conference not long ago and I entitled my, my message that evening, How to Win in the War of Worry. And uh, I prefaced the message by making this statement that I said this is something that touches every person in the audience. This is something that touches every age level. This is something that touches every status of life regardless of, of what area and what sphere of life we're talking about. We're talking about a problem that human beings are prone to have in their life. And Jesus indicated here that even disciples are not immune to this problem of worry and anxiety. Amen. And he said to the disciples, he said, I want to warn you of something that will take your joy away from you. I want to warn you of something that will take the, the, the real vitality out of your living. I want to warn you about something he's saying that really will make life, life much less than what it's intended to be. Now I want to preach a little while this morning on four practical steps that will help you and me to live a life free of anxiety and fretting and worry and this business that Jesus has warned about here. They're all right here in this scripture. And I believe under God, if, we, if he'll speak to our hearts and we'll just take these truths to heart, I believe this could be a new beginning for some of us in this room today. First thing he says is to remember who you are. Notice how he puts it here. He says to them in verse number 23, or 22 and 23, he's saying, take no thought. That is, don't worry. Don't be anxious for your life. And then he puts his finger on what people are prone to actually become worried over. What they're going to eat, what they're going to wear. Matthew adds, where they're going to live. The basic things of life. Things that we need to sustain our life. Our Lord is indicating here that we're prone to be anxious over and we're prone to fret over and we're prone to worry over the very things that he says the heaven, your heavenly father knows you have need of these things. Now here's what he's saying. He's saying remember who you are. He is saying life is more than just eating. Life is more than just drinking. Life is more than just something to wear. Life is more than just things. Now keep in mind the parable he gave. The man who spoke up and interrupted him. Obviously his brother was beating him out of his inheritance. And all he could think about is Jesus was standing there talking about eternal matters. Jesus was talking about really. He was talking about heaven and hell and some other truths. And a man stands right up in the audience and disregards what he's talking about and says this to him. Would you make my brother give me the inheritance he's taken from me? You see, there was a fellow, all he was thinking of was things that mammon, money, could possess. And he was taken up with that. And he was really thinking that life was simply on the level of a mere animal. And just to eat, drink, wear something, somewhere to live. And our Lord comes back to his own. And he says, if you're going to capture this thief of worry and anxiety, the first thing you need to do, you need to remember who you are. And you're not just a mere animal that has to eat and sleep and something to drink and something to wear. He said, of course, you need those things, but you're more than that. And he calls our attention to two truths from nature. Look at verse 24. He says, consider the ravens, the fowl of the air he's talking about. And the raven here was an unclean creature in the Old Testament. He was a bird that was not used in sacrifice and looked upon just as a, a very common bird, an unclean bird. And our Lord is going to say to his own about this, this uh, problem of anxiety and fear and worry and uh, this thing that tends to cripple us mentally and even physically and this thing that pulls the spiritual life out of us. He is saying, I want you to remember who you are. And in, in realizing that, he says, consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap, which neither have storehouse nor barn, and God feedeth them. I wonder how many birds there are 
Did you ever think about it? I read the other day how they came about this statistic. I'm not sure, but it said if the wealthiest man in, in America would attempt to feed the birds of the air one day, it would bankrupt him. He couldn't feed the birds one single day. And yet Jesus is saying, your heavenly father, he feeds them every day. I woke up this morning with this truth on my heart and a little before daylight beside of our bedroom there's a little bush up above the window and there was a bird this morning. I mean just at the crack of the... And boy, he was whistling and singing and uh, I, as I went into the, into the bathroom to, uh, to freshen up, the Lord seemed to say to me, he's had his breakfast already and it's not even good daylight. And I wanted to lift my heart and say, Hallelujah. God feeds birds. I mean, God, a bird doesn't have a deep freeze. A bird doesn't have a bank account. He just lives day by day, and, and, and he's dependent on God. Amen. And Jesus said to those ones that, that tended to, to fret and worry and break themselves down, he says, wait a minute, look up here. Who takes care of the birds? Who feeds the fowl? Who takes care of those creatures? He said, remember who you are. I repeat, so don't leave me here. He's going to show us in a few minutes that he was taken into consideration. Sure, it's important to have food. Sure, it's important to have clothes. Sure, it's important to have, to have a place to live and a car to drive and a, and a job to, to sustain you. All of that's important. He's going to talk about it. But he said that's not most important. There's something more important than things. And that is you're a creature of God. You're a child of God. And you're redeemed with the blood of God's Son. And if God feeds birds, the, he's arguing from the greater to the, or to, from the lesser to the greater. He said, if God feeds that little old fowl, surely he'll take care of his children. What would you think about a farmer that fed his chickens and starved his children? Why, well, you said that's absurd. That's ridiculous. A farmer that would feed his chickens surely wouldn't starve his children. Well, a God that feeds chickens, a God that feeds the birds will feed his children, Jesus says. He's saying to us this morning, if we're going to capture that thief of worry, that thing that, uh, that makes us old before our time, that thing that takes the joy out of living, that thing that takes the ring out of our voice, that thing that just puts undue and, and, and unjustified pressure on us, he's saying, first, remember who you are. Consider the ravens. Number two, he said, he looks at nature again. And look this time in verse 27. He says, consider the lilies. How they grow. They toil not. They spin not. The old lily's dressed is one of the most beautiful flowers. And, and he reaches back in history, and our Lord picks out one of the best-dressed men of history. And he said, there's Solomon, the wealthy and wise Solomon. Solomon couldn't dress up like that little lily. And the interesting thing, the lily he talks about here, was a very common flower, just a little wild lily of that day, but yet a beautiful little lily of the field. And he's saying, God dresses them, and he does a wonderful job at that. He said, your father does that. Remember who you are. And I don't want to puff anyone up this morning with pride. But listen carefully. Did you know you're very important to God this morning? Did you know one of the most healthy things in this realm that can ever possess your spirit is you stop to realize who you are and have a proper self-image this morning? You are someone. And if we're not careful, we, if we constantly down on ourselves and as if we are nobody and we're dirt and so on, you're made in God's image this morning and you're redeemed with the blood of God's Son and you're very important to God this morning. And if you was the only person on this earth that needed Jesus Christ, may I say to you, God loved you so much, He'd have given His Son for you. There are times when that pressure gets on us and everyone in this building's prone to it. I said to, to someone last night, I said this business of depression, anxiety and worry and fretting and fear and all of that's in the same family. I said there's not a one of us that's exempt from it and I said if we don't learn some steps to overcome it, that thing will drain the very spiritual life out of us. And the first thing that he said is remember who you are. You're God's child. Then he said, number two, if we're going to overcome this business of anxiety, this thing that wants to cripple us, he says, not only remember who you are, but in this scripture, a second practical step is indicated here. He says, realize the futility of worry. He says, it's useless. I mean, why worry if it's not going to do any good? 
And, and so I was thinking a little humorous story when a preacher made that point one time and there's a dear sister in the church and, and he said, it, I mean, it does no good to worry. And she came and said, I disagree with you. She said, everything I've ever worried about never did happen. It did some good, amen. Well, it wasn't her worrying that kept it from happening, amen. And so our Lord is saying, I mean, before we actually indulge in that luxury of worry that's too expensive for us, he says, you remember who you are, and then you realize the uselessness of it, the futility of it, and you'll notice that as he puts it in verse 25 and 26. Which of you, talking to his disciples, with taking thought, that means with, with uh, anxious thought, with anxiety in the spirit, with worry, if you please, can add to his stature one cubit. Now, the Jewish people were relatively short people. And especially compared to the Roman soldiers they were under bondage to. And those Roman soldiers, the average one they tell us, stood six foot a little better. And the average Jew, oh, he was six, he was six, uh, six inches or less uh, uh, shorter. And so they would sort of get an inferiority complex and when they had to constantly look up at him. Sort of like if I was around Gary all the time, had to look up at him, you know, stand and look up. Well, they were like that. I mean, here was these tall soldiers, and here was this average, less than average Jewish people. And uh, as you read history, you, you, you understand that some of the historians would say that was a common problem that plagued some of them, that had to be around those tall soldiers, and then with those big uh, well, helmets on also. And Jesus picked up on things that, that they were familiar with. And he said, now wait a minute. Can you, by taking thought, can you with anxious care, can you grow a cubit? Notice what he says. Can you add to your stature a cubit? Well, then he says, and I can imagine his audience, you know, saying, oh, that's ridiculous thinking. Why, you couldn't sit down and worry yourself into the cubit. I think the thing he's talking about, some, some commentators have thought that he, that he was referring to the original word that he used was referring to age. But then others says that he was referring to literally what it says here. Just by taking thought, could you lift yourself on up and be as tall as that soldier, even taller than that soldier? No, that's impossible. He says, then if you cannot do that by worrying, why, then in verse 26, why then, uh, if, if ye then be not able to do that thing which is least, why take ye thought for the rest? Now, you know what he's saying to us there? He's saying if we're going to conquer and capture this thief of worry that every one of us is prone to have in our life, he's saying, remember who you are, and then realize the futility of worry. I was in a pastor's study, and it said, why worry when you can pray? And I said, Amen. And I like that. But I said to him, if we're not careful, I said, we, we fall in the opposite. We say, why pray when you worry? Amen. And, and worry, as I, as I said a moment ago, someone has said worry is like a rocking chair. It'll give you something to do, but it'll get you nowhere. Amen. And that's, that's the truth. It'll get you nowhere. It accomplish nothing. And our Lord is saying, wait a minute. Think about it. If you can't add to your statue some inches by worrying, why then do you take thought of other things? If he says the futility of worrying would be a step, a practical step that would help us to overcome it. B.H. Carroll, a great uh, a Baptist preacher from Texas years past, in some of his writings he said this. He was the president of a seminary in Fort Worth. And the late Dr. Carroll said to those preacher boys as they're getting ready to go out and pastor their first churches, he is warning them about anxiety. He has warned them about this thing that we're all prone to fall into. He has warned them about that thing of discouragement and depression and that thing of just packing up and quitting. And he said, you can sum it all up with one word, and that's the word worry. And he said, I'm going to give you two things, two things, he said, that you should never worry about. And then he said these two things, if you never worry about them, then anything else you can think of, he said, you worry about that. Well, I, I read that statement coming from a wise uh, preacher as Dr. Carroll was. I thought, my, that'll be some wisdom worth listening to. That'll be something worth pondering. And he, for emphasis sake, he repeated it to those preacher boys, and they put it in his notes, and he said, these are the two things that you should never worry about. The first one, he says, never worry about anything that you can do something about. 
anything that you can do something about. He said, if you can do something about it, do it. Don't worry about it. Just go do something about it if you can. And number two, he says, never worry about anything that you can't do something about, that you can't do anything about. He said, never worry about something that you can do anything about and never worry about anything. Realize who you are. Remember who you are. And then realize that this business of worry is empty, it's futile, it's useless. In fact, the matter medical science has proven in our age that there is nothing quite as destructive to the human psychic, that inner part of us, than this business of worry here and anxiety. It's a destructive force that destroys us mentally, emotionally, even physically and spiritually. It's more than useless. It's very harmful if we get caught in this business of worry. There's something about worry. The root word means to strangle. It means to be divided. It means to be pulled in two directions. And when that gets a hold of us, we feel pulled this way. We feel, feel pulled this way. One day we think it pays to serve God. The next day we don't know. And so he's saying avoid it. Number one, realize or remember who you are. Number two, realize the futility of it. And then number three, he says, and really this is the bottom line right here of the whole message. So listen carefully what he says on this third point. He is saying, recognize who God is. Number one, remember who you are. Number two, realize the uselessness of worry. But then he says, recognize who God is if we're going to actually conquer this thing of worry. And here's the scriptures. Notice what he says uh, and the implication here. And notice who and what God is pictured as here. He says in verse 24 again, Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap, neither have storehouse nor barn. God feedeth them. How much more ye better than the fowls, which of you with taking thought can add to his stature one cubit? If you then be not able to do that thing which is least, why take thought for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow, they toil not, they spin not. I say unto you, Solomon, all of his glory is not arrayed like one of them. If then God so clothe the grass which today in the field, tomorrow is cast in the oven, how much more will, you, will he clothe you, O ye of little faith? And then in verse number 30, he tells us this. He said all these things that he's talking about, the things we need in life, the nations, the pagan world, he said, they seek after those things. And your father knoweth that you have need of these things. He's saying recognize who God is. He's saying God is omniscient. And he's simply saying God knows your need. He knows every need you have. God knows this morning every need in this building. There is not a physical need. There is not an emotional need. There is not a family problem. There is not a need in this building this morning in any realm that we could think of without the knowledge of our Father and our Lord Jesus is saying here, He is saying if we're going to overcome this business of worry, we need to realize that our Father in heaven is an all-knowing God. He sees everything and He knows every need that you have. Did you know that puts courage in a man's heart? Did you know that puts a spring in his step? Did you know that put a smile back on a person's face? Someone said, Preacher, I need a job. And, uh, and, and God knows that this morning. God knows you need a job. Someone said, Preacher, I need a friend. God knows that this morning. Someone said, Preacher, I need some help in my family. God knows that this morning. Someone may say, Preacher, we need some food. May I say to you, God knows that this morning. God knows exactly what you have need of. And it's not hid from that all-knowing God. There's a God, Jesus said, who sees all and he knows all. Not only is he pictured here as an omniscient God, one who knows all, but he's pictured as an omnipotent God, one, one who is able, an all-powerful God. He, it's, impl it's, it's implied, as he says, he feeds the, the birds. He clothes the lilies. Now, a God that could feed the fowls of the air, as I said a moment ago, the wealthiest man in the country couldn't do it one day. And yet God does it all of their life. Is your problem bigger than God this morning? Do you have a problem bigger than an almighty God could solve? 
How big is your problem this morning? You see that this business of worry and anxiety, what it does, it obscures our vision and the problem keeps looming so big we cannot see the bigness of God beyond the problem. And if I begin to let that thing get a hold to me and get in my thinking before I realize it, my problem is magnified to the point that I can't see God. You remember those spies back in the Old Testament? You remember when they sent those spies out to spy out the land of Canaan and they came back with a report and it really was an evil report, is a bad report? And ten of them came back and said, there's giants over there, they are so huge, there's no way in the world we could conquer those giants. They said those cities has walls around them and those great huge giants, why, we look like grasshoppers in their sight. Ten of them, they took a vote and they, they voted to stay in a land that God only gave them temporarily and they went round and round on an 11-day journey and they spent 40 years in defeat. Simply because Hebrews tells us they wouldn't by faith believe God and go into the promised land. And you know what their problem really was? They saw a little God and big giants. But there was two of them came back and they was realistic. They wasn't pessimistic and they wasn't silly optimists. They didn't deny the giants over there. They said that's a fact. There's big giants over there. But instead of seeing great big huge giants, you know who they saw? They saw a big God and they said our God is well able. And today if we look at our problems like they're great big giants, we'll never see God and we'll never be what God wants us to be. And the problem, regardless what it'll be, it'll be blown out of proportion and you'll magnify that problem to we'll leave God completely out. I'm glad there's no problem this morning too big for God. I'm glad there's no need this morning that God cannot supply. Thank God for it this morning. He said, who is God? Well, he's a God that knows everything. He's a God that can do everything. And then our Lord indicates that he's a very generous God. He says, your father now, it's our Father feeding the sparrows. It's our Father clothing the lilies. They're just creatures of His. We're children of His. I repeat, if a father, think with me, if a father was that generous and that kind to go out and feed the birds, and we'll say feed the animals of nature, and if He's kind enough to be kind to even the flowers and the, and the things of nature, can you imagine a father with that kind of kindness in his heart then mistreating his own children? No. I mean, that's a contradiction of terms. And yet our Father, the generous Heavenly Father, feeds the fowl and, and takes care of the flowers. Our Lord saying, recognize who God is. He's our Father. And then, here is something, and I trust we'll not take this last point lightly. I just simply mentioned, but as far as I'm concerned, you, we can go away with these other three points ringing in our soul this morning. We can go away saying, I remember now who I am. I'm a child of God. I'm important to God. And we can go away saying, worry is useless, and, and I'm, I'm going to buy the God's grace. Stop it. And we can say, now I've been reminded again, God's an all-knowing. God's an almighty. He's a good God. But this last point, this is really, I mean, here's the punchline of all the four things our Lord meant to say to our hearts. Listen carefully. Look in verse 31. But rather seek you the kingdom of God and all of these things. Now, he didn't deny those things. Maybe someone earlier thought the pastor this morning is playing down the importance of clothes and food and a place to live. No, the pastor didn't intend to do that. If that message came across, then I didn't intend to convey that. I thank God for clothes and thank God for a house to live in. Thank God for cars to drive. Thank God for that. All the good things we enjoy comes from God. But you know what Jesus is saying? Those are not number one. Jesus is saying, let me give you the fourth point, then, then we'll make a comment and you got the message. He said, number one, if we're going to capture the, this thief of worry that gets our joy, that steals our strength, he said, we'll have to remember who we are. We'll have to then realize that uh, worry is useless. We'll have to recognize who God is. But then he says, and he implies here very carefully, very pointedly, he says we need to revise our priorities. Now, notice carefully. Rather seek ye, and when Matthew gives his account of it, he puts the word first. Seek you first, not second or third, but first the kingdom of God. 
And then he says, all these things. Been talking about food, been talking about clothing, been talking about shelter. He's been talking about the necessities of life. And he's been saying life itself is a gift of God, more important than things. And yet he knows we need these things. And he's saying, right here is the fourth step. He says, revise your priorities. Now, I want to just take a minute and I want to take a little inventory this morning. I'll need everyone's attention. If you look up at me for just a moment on purpose, listen carefully. If you were asked right now to just give a little thought to it and write down on a piece of paper the five things that you're most likely to worry about. Let me use the word concern. I mean, we like that a little better than worry. And uh, the five things that, that you and I are most likely to be concerned about. Now think with me. If you were asked right now, and we'd take the time, and, and we'd just sort of kick our computer in gear and begin to give a little thought to it, and we could put down accurately the things that we would consider five on the top list, top of the, of the list, the first five, that I would be most likely to be concerned, and the thing that would most likely get... I wonder what they'd be. I'm sure they'd be different. I'm sure that uh, one person would have down one thing, another maybe would depend on your vocation in life and maybe your age bracket or so on, so on. But I wonder this morning, in the five, would you have this one right here? My being right with God. May I say if it wasn't number one, your priorities need revising. And that's why worry gets in. A lot of people would put their job first. Others put their health first. Others put their place to live first. Others would say, got a problem with the children, put that first. No. But Jesus is saying to them, you can't handle problems. I won't embarrass anyone, but last night after the prayer meeting, we were in a hall. And a man said something to me as I asked him, uh, and, and he was very, and he's in this room this morning, and I'm glad he's here. And he made a statement that rung in my soul. And uh, Brother Larry, it was ringing in my soul this morning. And, and, and I knew last night that I'd be preaching this message. And the Holy Spirit just sealed that to my soul when you said that. And I said to him, and, and I would not embarrass him intensely for the world. Of course, this will not embarrass him. We rejoiced together when he got his heart right with God last night. And I said, what is the thing that's uppermost on your heart? What is there something you'd like to say to me about? What is there something that's on your soul? And in tears, as he looked with, with, the, with the sincerity, he said, the thing I want most is to be right with God. I said, God bless you, my brother. And in a few minutes, he has taken my hand, not only with tears, but a smile, and said, I've got right with God. What's on your list this morning? You want to be able to live with freedom? You want to be able to have the joy He wants you to have? You want to be able, when you come up to the problems, you'll have someone help you through them? He hasn't said He'll keep us out of trouble. He said, I'll be with you in the very present help in trouble. Many of us this morning, we need to remember who we are. We're children of God and we live with this anxiety that tears us apart. It's a slander against that one we belong to. We need to remember the futility, recognize the futility of worry, how it's useless and destroys us even. We need to recognize God is an all-knowing, all-powerful, generous, loving God that wants to help us. But he says, here's the way that indicates, and here's what he indicates that will help you and me get in the place he can help us. You see, the sun keeps right on shining. You and I can't stop it from shining. You can put an umbrella over you and you won't benefit from it. You can take yourself out from under the sun and you wouldn't benefit from it. You can't stop God from being good. It's His nature. He's a good God. And He's a loving God. But if your will, if your will becomes first and on your priority list you start putting a lot of other things, you know what you're going to do? You're going to take yourself out of the place where God showers. This would help us make a lot of decisions promptly in life. Who's first? What's, what's on your priority list this morning? Is the number one thing that you want to be concerned about is your relationship and fellowship to God and say, Lord, above everything else that I'm going to be concerned, I'm going to be concerned that I'm right with you and you are my Lord and my life counts for you. 
I promise you in the fear of God, not because I have inside information. I have a Bible here that's inspired of God. I promise you there are people in this room, you've never known the freedom that can come to your life and your marriage and your home and the excitement that can come back to a dull marriage again and the real joy of living can come to your life again. If you'd set out as a family and, and someone has to start it and dad, you're the head of the home, you ought to start it and you ought to say for me and my house, we're going to put God first and you watch him cause all these other things just to become real. It's a practical message. It's not always an easy message to preach. The devil knows he fights a message like this as much as anything we ever preach. You know why? He knows if we get victory over something like this, we are effective Christians then, and we're and we a threat to his dirty cause. Because when the world looks at a Christian that's got freedom and joy and happiness, the unsaved world says, I want what they've got. And thank God it's for all of us. Our heads are bowed. Eyes are closed. God's people's in prayer. All over the room, our Lord says, stop being anxious. Fellows, back in the tape room, if you want to put on the tape, your, uh, the, the title, just put down how to win the war of worry. If we'll just remember those four practical steps. Remember who you are. Are you born again this morning? By faith in Jesus Christ, you're a child of God. Recognize or realize the uselessness, the futility of worry. That thing wants to get a hold of us and we want to indulge ourselves in that business of, of giving anxious thought about our future and so on. Just say, that's not going to help. Go to God in prayer. Recognize who God is. Maybe you need to revise your priorities. You start your day with God. Is he the first person you meet in the morning? How about his word? How much time do you give to his word daily? How about quiet time? How much time do you spend alone with him? Is he Lord of every area of your life? In the inner parts of you? Secret part of your life where no one else knows? Is this sort of fantasy world there that would be, if it was exposed, would be embarrassing? Maybe sometimes impure? Do you live in a fantasy world today? You see, as a man thinketh in his heart, that means his mind, so is he. Satan is so subtle, he likes to fill our minds with things that cripple us then. You and I cannot act positive and think negative all the time. And that's why it's so important to fill our hearts and our minds constantly with the Word of God, every day with the Word of God. Our Father finished the truth to us. Thank you for your Word. We're so glad this morning that you've given us steps whereby we can overcome and conquer this business of worry and anxiety. Help us to realize what a sin it is and how it slanders you. And I pray you'd, you'd speak to us about putting the priorities where they belong. And on the first of the list to be concerned about is our relationship and fellowship with thee. We love you in Jesus' name. Our heads are bowed and eyes are closed. How many in this building say, Brother Hurd, I'm saved. I'm glad I'm saved. If I died today, I have the assurance in my heart, heaven would be my home. If you're saved and glad you are, would you slip your hand up real high all over the building, please? You're not bragging. You're just saying, I'm a Christian. I've trusted Jesus Christ. I'm glad I'm saved. Thank you very kindly. Our heads are bowed. Eyes are closed. God's people's in a moment of prayer. You can lower your hands now all over the building. Thank you for your, your cooperative spirit. We're going to be leaving in a moment. No one's looking around. Heads are bowed. Eyes are closed. Attitudes of heart are in prayer. I wouldn't embarrass you intentionally for anything in the world. That's not my purpose. I just want to help you. I wonder if there's a man or a lady in this room. You see, if you're here unsaved today, he wasn't talking to unsaved people necessarily when he's talking about anxiety because the message we need to hear first is the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God loved us and Christ died for us. You know, I'm waiting for you to let me have it. And this spirit-filled man of God said, I said to him, I'm sure you're right. I'm sure that I'm all of that. said, could you find in your heart to forgive me, please? And then would you pray for me? And he said, the fellow ran the road like a cockahole. I mean, he said, I hadn't even got ready to go. And said, he's so upset, the fellow, he couldn't handle someone acting with kindness. He just took off to get away from him. Hey, 
And next time someone, you don't have to. One, one person said to me the other day, well, I'm going to get even with her. <laughs> That's what you're going to do. You're going to lower yourself to her standard. And get down to be a little mean person like that person that's after you. And if you start fighting back, that's exactly what you'll do. You'll get even. You'll put yourself on a low level and become little and cheap, just like people that goes around fighting others. And, and, and you'll get even, but you won't be used of God. woman said to me one time, hey, I'll, I'll get her if it's the last thing I ever do. It may be the last thing. Probably will be the last thing you do for God. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. He says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit. Do you know what I found that's helpful along this line? People start to say something to me. And it happened just a few days ago. I was not rude, but I was a little firm. I said, wait, wait just a minute. I said, will you give me permission to quote you on what you're saying right now? They, looked, they said, yeah, you can quote it. Okay, go ahead and tell me then. <laughs> I had to stop a lot of stuff. I had to stop a lot of gossip. Just say, now, wait a minute. Before I listen to this, before you tell me this story, will you give me permission to quote what you're saying? Will you give me permission to, to tell somebody else what you're talking about? And I promise you, that'll thin out some of that stuff. One woman said to me one day, well, Brother Hurd, I just can't help people calling me with all that old gossip stuff. You better think that through. You know what you may be telling on yourself? People's found out you like to hear that. <laughs> Stay with me now. Don't, don't leave me. If you just can't keep somebody from always telling you some kind of sordid, wicked something, I mean, it may have gotten out, I said to that person, without being unkind, I said it may have gotten out that people believe and know that you like to hear that sordid stuff. I'm not crude and unkind, I say this, but I used to say, and I don't think I've said it lately, but I used to say quite often, my ears are not slop wagons, amen? I mean, I just don't go around listen to all the garbage that everybody wants to pour in my ear. Because if you're not careful, it'll pull you down and make you so negative. You get around somebody that's that way trying to disturb the unity of the spirit in a, in a church or somebody else, and before you know it, you feel like you need a bath. I mean, that thing will just pull you down. What's our responsibility to the Spirit? He has sealed us. We're not to grieve Him. He's my prayer partner. He gives me access. I'm to pray. He makes me God's dwelling place, in particular as a group here together. We become the habitation of God. And what are we to do? We're to keep the unity of the Spirit. Make sure we do nothing against somebody else that grieves the Spirit. Well, the fourth ministry is in chapter 3. In verse 5, you may want to put down beside of that verse, I have written in my Bible, I put a 1 at the first stop and I wrote 4.30. Second stop, I put a 2 and wrote 6.18. Third stop, I put the 3 and wrote 4.3. Now down in chapter 3 in verse number 5, I've got a 4. That's the fourth ministry. And I've put for our responsibility chapter 6 and verse 17. Now, Paul here, we won't go in detail, but he's in this third chapter. He's opening up a truth that Old Testament people didn't understand. And verse 5 says, Which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets. They were the first, they were, the, they were called the foundation of the church. And it's by the Spirit. And what he's really talking about, if you'll just let me just simplify it and paraphrase it, He's saying this truth about the New Testament church. Old Testament people did not understand the New Testament church. It was not mentioned in detail. But now he, he calls it a mystery. If you would please look, uh, look back up in, in chapter 3 and verse, verse 3. How that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery. As I wrote a four and few words, he'd already talked a little bit about it. Whereby when you read, as you may understand, my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Use the Spirit. Well, the fourth ministry is in chapter 3. In verse 5, you may want to put down beside of that verse, I have written in my Bible, I put a 1 at the first stop and I wrote 4.30. Second stop, I put a 2 and wrote 6.18. Third stop, I put the 3 and wrote 4.3. Now down in chapter 3 in verse number 5, I've got a 4. That's the fourth ministry. 
And I've put for our responsibility chapter 6 and verse 17. Now, Paul here, we won't go in detail, but he's in this third chapter. He's opening up a truth that Old Testament people didn't understand. And verse 5 says, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets. They were the first, they were, the, they were called the foundation of the church. And it's by the Spirit. And what he's really talking about, if you'll just let me just simplify it and paraphrase it, he's saying this truth about the New Testament church. Old Testament people did not understand the New Testament church. It was not mentioned in detail. But now he, he calls it a mystery. If you would please look, uh, look back up in, in chapter 3 and verse, verse 3. How that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery. As I wrote a foreign few words, he'd already talked a little bit about it. Whereby when you read, as you may understand, my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages, and he's talking about the church. Now, when Paul talks about a mystery in the New Testament, he's not talking about what we commonly think of when we talk about a mystery. He's not talking about something that's, you know, that has to be sat down to figure out, and it's something that's uh, mysterious. But a mystery in Bible terminology simply meant a truth that was not known before, but now it's been revealed. And how was this truth revealed? By the Spirit. Now, for the ministry tonight, to simplify it, chapter 3 and verse 5, he reveals God's truth to us. He's our teacher. Do we have a responsibility to that ministry? Chapter 6, verse 17. Look at that responsibility we have. It says, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So the Holy Spirit opens God's truth to my heart, to your heart as a believer. He's our teacher. That's his ministry. He reveals truth to us. I often say I can preach truth, but only the Holy Spirit can impart truth. If he doesn't put it in your heart, you'll not really get it. So what's our responsibility? If he reveals truth, what are we to do? We're to take the Word of God. I'm not going to go into much detail. We come to James chapter 1. In one of those sections, we'll spend an entire evening dealing with the ministry of the Word to the believers. But let me just ask you a question. How Do you daily take the Word of God? I won't embarrass anyone, and I don't often in the audience just, just call names, but I, I believe the Lord wants me to here. Sister Coyle said something in my presence a few days ago that I said to my wife later, that, that really blessed me. And uh, she was just giving a word of testimony. We're just talking. And she was talking about how that eagerly, and I will embarrass her, I don't intend to, but this will be embarrassing to her. But she said how eagerly, every day, every morning in particular, she looked forward to coming to this book. And she said with a note of sincerity, and moistened eyes, said, Brother Hurt, sometimes just chapter after chapter, and it just opens my heart. But she said, if I get busy doing something else in the morning, before I do that, she said, I feel mean. <laughs> And then I go back and get the word. In my heart, when our sister said that, I said, Lord, that's my testimony. I just believe he deserves priority. Amen. I just believe before we do anything else, we need to make time to cover this old book and do it every day. You remember back in the Old Testament? They didn't get manna on Monday for Tuesday. They got Monday's manna, Tuesday's manna, Wednesday's manna, and the only day they picked up manna for two days was they picked it up before on Friday because Saturday was their Sabbath, and there's a law they didn't do anything in those days on the Sabbath, and so, but they had to get it every day. You know what Jesus said? Now, I know he's a type of the manna as the living word, but did you know... Right here, this book's alive in a real wonderful sense. The closest you can ever get to Jesus Christ is in and through this word with him. And man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth from the Father. And if you don't get in the Bible daily, you find yourself being weak. And even, and I agreed with her, to, and feeling mean, I mean feeling selfish, and self gets on the throne. But when we come to the Bible, the Bible strengthens us, the Bible fills us, the Bible feeds us, the Bible cleanses us, the Word of God does all of this. He opens the truth. Don't you, don't you appreciate when you're sitting with the Bible and all of a sudden a nugget just sort of, you know what I'm talking about? 
You say, praise God. Look at that. I mean, I, I have to about tell somebody. I, I mean, I, I just want to tell. I remember when I first got saved. And, uh, and uh, I mean, I, I'd be reading the Word of God, and sometime it'd be an early morning hour, too. I don't brag about that, but see, I, I was 25-year-old. I had some catching up to do, and I'd read for hours. And I sometimes, nobody else to tell late at night. I wasn't going to call someone. But after the midnight hour, I'd wake Josephine up sometime. Two or three in the morning. I'd say, look here, look here. And I said, okay, well, let's go to sleep. <laughs> I mean, there's just something about the Word when He's showing it to you. Do you take the Bible? I close where we started. We've learned tonight four ministries He does for the believer thus far. He seals us and our responsibility not to grieve Him. He gives us access. Our responsibility is to pray. He makes us God's habitation, the dwelling place of God. Our responsibility is to guard and keep the unity of the Spirit. He reveals God's truth to us. Our responsibility is to take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and we're to do it day by day. Every day we're to take time with the Bible. Chapter 3 and verse 16 is the fifth and the final ministry of the Holy Spirit. Chapter 3 and verse 16. I'm not the final thing he does for us, but in Ephesians I'm talking about. Look at the 16th verse, if you would, please. This is part of Paul's prayer. Paul had two prayers recorded here in Ephesians. One of them's in chapter 1, the other in chapter 3. And he said this to him, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man. What does the Holy Spirit do there? He strengthens the inner man, that new part of us. It's the Holy Spirit who gives us power within, strength within. We feel so weak and anemic when we try to serve God without the Holy Spirit giving us that inward strength. Well, since he does that for us, what's our responsibility to that ministry? You may want to write 518. That's where we started. I've got a 5 beside of verse 16, chapter 3, right beside that 5. I have a 518. Now, my first number in the first five numbers talks about his ministry to me, and the numbers I place beside that verse is my responsibility to him. Notice we conclude where we started. Since he strengthens the inner man, what's my responsibility? Be filled with the Spirit. If I can make it as simple as I know how right now, you know how, how you feel with the Spirit. If these other ministries right here is taking place in your heart, if you have a prayer time daily, if you go to the Bible daily because the Bible is the water of the Word that washes you and cleanses you, you know what if you'll do every day? Just yield to Him. I mean, just ask Him to fill you. Just say, Lord, I, I take my hands off of my life. And, and the, the word fill means to be controlled. Whatever fills us tonight controls us. You can take that word in the Bible and you find when people were filled with anger, anger controlled them. You find when people's filled with lust, lust controls them. Whatever fills you tonight controls you. And if the Holy Spirit's filling you, he'll control you. Now you may want to look at a word and you've got the message. How can you tell you're filled? Look at verse 19. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. You know the first thing that happens, the first word tonight identifies you being filled, is the word joyful. Joyful. Some of us, we can sort of look around and tell we're not filled tonight. <laughs> Amen. I'm not being unkind, but we're just not joyful. Bible says a merry heart maketh a cheerful countenance. Instead of some of us being filled with joy and being joyful, that is, full of joy, joy-filled, some of us are negative. We've complained a whole lot today. This has been wrong. Something else has been wrong. I don't know why this had to happen. And if we're not careful, self has been controlling us and we've been acting accordingly.